Welcome to church. Uh, for those that may think I'm new, I'm not new, you're new. I've been here for a while. Um, I'll let you, yeah, you may sit down. I'll let you uh, in on a little bit of a secret. I was sitting at the back row there in 2013. When was the first summit that we had? 13? 2013, back there, God spoke to me. I came to the front. I received God as my Lord and Savior on that, that evening. So I was in this church that that happened at a young age. And uh, oh, I just want to say as well, I'm really glad that Pastor Joe is still a young adult pastor because when I started, young adults finished at about 30. And now I'm on the edge of 30. Young adults have pushed to about 35. So I'm still a young adult, still a young adult, which is really cool. Um, 2014, just uh, behind Dean over there, I met my wife. So a lot of things happened in this building here for me. So I'm not new, you're new. Just going to say that. Well, it's a, it's a great privilege for me to be able to uh, be up here to preach the Word of God. Um, if you have not seen me, I'm over at Redcliffe now. I've been privileged to be the location leader over there, which is just an incredible uh, journey for me, an honor for me, and, and a privilege that I, that I know God has uh, given me and put on my heart to, my heart to lead over there. Um, Pastor Dave was there beforehand, and he did such an incredible job at loving the people there at Redcliffe. And then Pastor Nina stepped in, and I just remember saying to a few people, not, well, I knew what was happening, but they didn't. And I was like, oh man, the, the person that's going to step in after Pastor Nina and Pastor Dave, oh, big shoes to fill. And the person's like, oh yeah, we don't want to be me. And I'm just standing there like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's been an incredible journey. I also want to say, when I was younger... I know I still look young, but I'm almost 30. I don't want to talk about it. When I was younger, I knew God had put something on my heart to be a minister, to be His hands and feet, to be His mouthpiece, to preach His Word, to pastor His people. Um, so I went around trying to paint all these different ideas of what that's going to look like and what that's going to be, and uh, none of them worked out that way. And uh, I just eventually put my hands in the air and said, all right, you do it, God. I don't want to do it anymore. You try to figure it out then. And, uh, and he did. And um, never thought in my wildest dreams that I'd be leading a location at this age. So kudos to God. He's, uh, I'm down there playing checkers. He's up there playing chess. So that's how God works. That's what God does. Well, God has put a, a word on my heart this morning for, to share to you. And um, it's about how a revelation of the love that God has for you can take you and, and reform the way that you look at yourselves and the way that you look at other people as well. So today I want to take us through the life of John and the journey that he had and that what he took, that took him from fishing in Galilee to preaching in Greece. It took him from rivers to revelation. That's the title of my message this morning. And some of you may say, oh, you didn't fish on a river, you fished on the Sea of Galilee. Well, the Jordan River flows into the Galilee. So he probably did fish on a river at some point in his life. Uh, so yeah, rivers to Revelation. That is actually a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Isn't it pretty? That's not John fishing though. So just going to clarify that. Well, let me pray and we'll get into the Word. 
Thank you, Lord, for the privilege and opportunity that you have given me to speak to your people. And I pray that it is your word that's spoken this morning. I pray that people hear what you want them to hear. And I pray that people will leave this place different than what they came in, closer to you, Jesus. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. I want to start at rivers. Rivers. Now, the reason I chose rivers is because it rhymes with revelation. That's the only reason. But we're going to run with rivers. And so we jump into the life of John where will we pick him up in, on the ocean, on the river fishing. So John was a fisherman, which in itself speaks to failure. Now, I, th- I know that sounds harsh, but in every little Jewish boy's dream, it was to be a rabbi. Not, maybe not everyone because there's some rebels out there like Ryan. But in every single Jewish boy's dream was to be a rabbi. But John was a fisherman, which speaks of failure. Because Jewish boys, and girls I believe too, but Jewish boys went to school. From a very young age, they were taught the Torah, and they, were, they would memorize the Torah. And those that showed extreme abilities and, and you know, smartness and wit about it all, they were then taken to the next level and taken to the next level. But those that weren't showing that kind of smartness and that that uh, zeal for the Scriptures, like uh, some of them did, they would just be sent off to go become whatever their fathers were if they weren't rabbis themselves. And so John was a fisherman. John's brother was a fisherman. John's dad was a fisherman. So there's probably a part of him that considered himself as a failure because he was a fisherman. He was on the sea instead of in the synagogues. So he's a fisherman. That's where we pick him up. But then Jesus called him. And we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22, it says this, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets and at once, at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So John and these other three young men, were called by Jesus to come follow him. And they, they didn't hesitate. They jumped out. They ran to him. They left all their fishing equipment there. They left their dad there. It's like, see him, mate. You can do that. He'll sort that out. They just ran to Jesus. And you know, it always puzzled me. It always like, well, why, why would they just up and leave so quick? And then I thought, oh man, Jesus would have been so incredible. He would just walk around and people would be like, oh, I want to follow that man. But that's not the case. The scriptures also say that it was nothing to look at, that people didn't look twice at Jesus. So it wasn't that, but it was this opportunity that these young men were given. They already considered themselves, I know it's harsh, as failures probably. They're like, I'm never going to be a rabbi. I'm just stuck fishing for the rest of my life. They fished for a living. And here was this rabbi that comes to them and says, here's your second chance, mate. You follow me. And that's why they run for it. Because it was a dream of theirs to be a rabbi. It was a dream of theirs to be a disciple of a rabbi. Jesus, a rabbi, reopened a door that they thought was forever closed. 
Jesus, however, did say something a little odd to them. He said, I'll show you how to fish for people. Jesus takes John and these three other fishermen and shifts their perspective on what they think the rest of their lives are going to look like. The understanding that disciples had or these disciples had was that they were going to spend the next four, five, six years following this rabbi around, learning not just what they know, but who they are. They were gonna, their goal for the next four, five, six years was to become their rabbi. That's what disciples were. That is what discipleship is, is becoming the person that you're following, is replicating that person. So then when Jesus says to them, I will make you fishers of men, it really revealed to these four young men what was close to Jesus' heart. See, other rabbis were all about the Scripture and the Torah and getting to know the Torah and, and finding God in the Torah and studying the Scriptures and, and learning how to pray and, and, and being in the synagogue all the time and all these things. So a lot of these rabbis, that was their life. And so a lot of the disciples that followed these rabbis, that's what they were learning, is diving deep into Torah, diving deep into Scripture, which is fine. It's great. It's, you know, we always say dive deep into the Scripture because we know that it is the living Word of God. But these people were diving deep into these Scriptures and Jesus is like, I'm going to show you how to fish for people, which is a perspective shift. And so these disciples then realized Jesus isn't like the others. He's a little different. And it showed the heart of Jesus, that Jesus was about people. John and the other disciples didn't know it yet, but Jesus was all about people. This moment kick-started the journey of, getting, of them getting to know Jesus. Their relationship with Jesus was about to start, a relationship that would change their lives more than that they, were, could, they could have ever imagined. And if you read the book of John, you will see the things that stood out to John. And so I want to go a little bit deeper into the book of John and the life of John and what really, what John saw of Jesus. And so this leads to relationship. So John was on the river and now he's starting a relationship with Jesus. The first few chapters of the book of John gives us a look into what stood out to John about Jesus. And so in chapter two, we jump into a story of the wedding at Cana. So Jesus had just assembled his disciples. He had just put his crew together. And they were the, the first thing that they were going to do together was go to a wedding. So Jesus had a, obviously a massive plus one, plus one, plus one, plus one list for this wedding. And so he brought 12 dudes with him. Um, I know I've had a wedding before, and I wouldn't have appreciated anyone coming and bringing 12 others. So uh, we didn't cater for that, but... Jesus had that privilege, which was really awesome. So there's these 12 guys with Jesus. They're at this wedding. And then Jesus' mother comes to Jesus and goes, they're out of wine. They've run out of wine. And Jesus goes, that doesn't bother me. But it did bother him. Because then his mother turned around and said to the, the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. But Jesus had not yet revealed himself to the world around him. Jesus had not yet revealed his God-likeness, that, that He was God. Jesus had not done a miracle per se in public yet. So Jesus felt that this might not be my time, but He was pushed by something inside Him for people. So Jesus 
turns water into wine. He turns ordinary into specific and special and great and something for, for someone to enjoy, something for people to enjoy. So wine, first of all, the reason why it was significant that they ran out of wine is because it would lead to great embarrassment and shame for the bride and groom and for the parents and for everyone that put the celebration together because hospitality was such a big deal for those people in that culture. Now it's a big deal here, but if we ran out of wine, it's big whoop, doesn't matter. It's all good. But for them, it was massive. It was a massive, massive deal. So it would have led to great embarrassment and great shame. And Jesus was not about that. He didn't want anyone to live in shame. He didn't want anyone to live in regret. He didn't want anyone to live in this complete sorrow of, being, of, of not meeting the mark, of not being able to deliver on what they were supposed to. So Jesus steps in in this moment because he cares about people. And that's what John is really showing us here. And the second part is wine represents joy. So these people are out of wine. So you could say they're out of joy. They've, there's no more joy at the party. They've, I know it's a, it's a specific thing, wine, that they speak of, but it also represents joy. So Jesus sees that there's an opportunity for them to be in complete dismay, complete, their reputation completely tarnished, and they're out of joy. So Jesus steps in and he creates wine out of water. Now he only did that once, so let's not get carried away with wine. But he created wine from water and he restored joy back into their lives. And, and if you read chapter 2 of John, it says that the master of ceremonies tastes the wine that used to be water and he says, this is the best wine. Normally, the best wine is served first, but you have left this to last. See, when Jesus restores joy to your life, it is the best joy. When Jesus restores something to you, it's top notch. It is the best. There's none better. There's nothing better than what Jesus can give you. It's joy. Second or third chapter, so the second story that, we, we, that John reveals to us and shows us about Jesus is where we get John 3.16 from. And so Jesus is having his late night chat with this leader, this religious leader, Nicodemus. And they're up in, on a rooftop and they're having this chat and Jesus reveals to him the reason why he came. Jesus reveals to Nicodemus and those around them the reason for him being there. And it's in John 3.16 where Jesus says, I was sent by God, my Father, so that everyone who believes in me will not die but have everlasting life. You see, John tells us that Jesus is revealing who he is and the love that he has for humanity. It's love that drove Jesus. It's love for people. We see that at the wedding and we see that on the, in this conversation that, that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. It's love. And then John chapter 4, we see Jesus having a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. John jumps to Samaria where Jesus is in this dialogue with this woman. And he's not really supposed to be talking to this woman. It's not culturally accepted that Jesus, a Jew, a Jewish man, is talking to a Samaritan woman. It's just, it's just not what happens then. But Jesus is here having this dialogue with this woman. And 
he's revealing these truths to her. He's revealing the, the rawness and the realness of who he is and who God is in her life and who God can be for her. And, and to the point where she runs away and she, she, well, before I get there, John chapter four, verse 25, 26, I wanna read this. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And that is, those are very significant words in that culture because God was the only one referred to as I am and Jesus declares I am. And he says that he is the Messiah. He reveals this to a Samaritan woman, not in a synagogue. This, isn't, this is the first time that he, in Scripture that he reveals who he truly is and he does it to a Samaritan woman and she goes and tells everyone she knows that I have met the Christ. Jesus loves people. Here are three different stories that show how much Jesus loves people. See, John witnessed the love that Jesus had by seeing how he interacted with others and how he revealed truths about the kingdom of God to them. These are the first few deeds of Jesus that John shared with us and what was significant to him. But his relationship with Jesus didn't just stop at being an eyewitness. It wasn't that John was just there for those moments. It wasn't that John was just in the room. No, John had a deep relationship with Jesus. John shared deepness with Jesus. John was actually in Jesus's inner circle. There's many points where it says in Scripture that John with others, like a few little people, went into specific moments with Jesus. And I just want to pull out three of them this morning for you. John, along with Peter and James, was with Jesus during Jesus's transfiguration. So in in Luke chapter 9, we, we can read about this moment where Jesus takes three others, John, James, his brother, and Peter, and they go up a mountainside just to be alone with Jesus, just to spend some time with him, just to pray with the Father or to the Father with Jesus. And as they're hiking, I've preached a message about this, it's really cool. As they're hiking, not the message, but this in itself is really cool. Uh, it was all right. I mean, you can go check it out if you want. Um, in, in this moment, they're just hiking. They're all sweating. Peter probably feels like he's transformed himself because he's probably a mess, carrying all these things and just sweating. And then Jesus, all of a sudden, I'll read it. In Luke chapter 9, 28, 29, Peter, James, and John go up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. That's Jesus. This happened right in front of John, right in front of James, right in front of Peter. No one else was there. No one else witnessed this with these three men. They were close to Jesus. And all of a sudden, his face shone bright as light. They only had one reference to light back then. Well, not one. They had a few but they didn't have like a bright torch. They didn't have these lights shining in my face. They had the sun, they had lightning, or they had a candle or the moon. That's the light references they had. There might be more, but there's basically those ones. And it says that his face shone as bright as light and his clothes were dazzling. Obviously, there was a female kind of pushing him to, no, it was dazzling, wasn't it? 
because no man's really using that word. So Mark was, uh, Luke was obviously persuaded. Use dazzling, that's a great word. The second story I want to point out was when John, Peter and James were with Jesus when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter back to life. And it's in Mark chapter 5, verse 36 to 40. It says, But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith. For they were saying to Jairus, Your daughter's dead now. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't worry about it. It's over. And Jesus says, Don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw how much commotion and weeping and wailing there was. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. That's so weird. Here they are weeping and wailing. And all of a sudden, Jesus didn't even crack a joke. He just made a statement. And now they laugh at him. Obviously, they were professional wailers and weepers. They weren't there for the real deal. But he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into a room where the girl was laying. It was John, James and Peter. It was three people that were in that room with Jesus. It was this close knit circle. It was this tightness that John had and these two other gentlemen had with Jesus. They had a close relationship with Jesus. The third one is when Jesus went, into Gethsemane to pray. So John, along with Peter and James, were the only, only disciples that were with Jesus in his most deep anguish and distress moment. It's in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 37. It says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. See, John had a deep relationship with Jesus. They were close friends. They were, they were close. They were tight. They were brothers. John, along with Peter and James, were the only ones in these moments with Jesus. Jesus revealed great things to these men. Jesus revealed incredible things. Jesus revealed his true form to these guys. Jesus raised people from the dead with just these two, these three gentlemen with him. Jesus went on and left his other nine disciples there and said, you three come with me. And, and shared this intimate moment, shared this, 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 this distress, this anguish, this pain, this super, super painful moment with these three men. In John chapter 13, verse 24 to 25, Simon Peter motions to him, being John, and asks, who is he talking about? And in this moment, Jesus had just said to his disciples that there's someone in this room, someone at this very table, that's going to betray me. And so Peter's like, ask him, who is it? So the disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? See, John had this tightness with Jesus, more so than Peter and James, that Peter recognized it and said, hey, you ask him. 
See, John had this, this relationship with Jesus that he wasn't afraid to ask the questions that others were afraid to ask. He wasn't afraid to dive deep into who Jesus really is and what Jesus really thought and what Jesus really knew. Peter, who was with John and James and all those other moments, didn't even want to ask what John was willing to ask because John was close to Jesus. John's relationship with Jesus allowed him the privilege, the access, and, and the, the braveness to be able to ask Jesus anything he wanted. It's relationship that leads to revelation. John's relationship, his friendship with Jesus, led to a deep revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus was on earth to do. Jesus was on earth to show how much God loves humanity, to make a way for humanity to be reconciled back to God so that none should suffer the consequences of sin because of love. Now we all have to sit with the consequence of sin in the moment of if you kill someone, you go into jail. Like you have to sit with that consequence. If you steal, you gotta pay it back. There's consequences to sin in this moment, but the eternal consequence of sin has been dealt with. Jesus did that. He dealt with that, and John knew that. John had that revelation that Jesus was here for us to sort out the problem that humanity has with sin and the consequence that sin has and the grip that sin has over humanity. But John knew that that was sorted. Relationship leads to revelation. Revelation. John spent so much time around Jesus, getting to know Jesus, and had this revelation of how much Jesus loved others and how much Jesus loved him. To the point that when it came time for John to write his story of Jesus and, and what Jesus did and what he saw Jesus do, he actually referred to himself as the one that Jesus loved, which we can kind of read and go, wow, that's a bit braggish, isn't it? Oh, look at this guy. He's quite confident in his relationship with Jesus. Wow, must be nice to lay on the bosom of Jesus at the table. But he was confident in his relationship with Jesus. And as I was kind of doing a bit of research into why he chose to say not his name, but the one that Jesus loves, it was actually some sort of, a, um, what's the word? Like a, a respect that he showed in the writing that he didn't want to name drop. He didn't want to say it was him that was with Jesus all those moments. So he used the one that Jesus loves, which I still think is a bit of a brag. But he was confident in that. He knew that he was the one that Jesus loved. So he referred to himself five times in his, in his uh, book that he wrote about Jesus he referred to himself five times as the one that Jesus loved. So I just want to go through these five different scenarios where John refers to himself as the one that Jesus loves. This is in John chapter 13, verse 23. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. John chapter 20, verse 2. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. And then it goes on in that same passage where it says, and the, and the other disciple, referring to himself, ran faster than Peter. He was, so I, don't, I just don't think that he was all about modesty or, or this, this humble uh, attitude. He was definitely aware that Jesus loved him and he was fast. So I'm not, I'm not buying it, John. 
John chapter 21, verse 7, Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. John chapter 21, verse 20, Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple that Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And this is my favorite one. John 19, 26, When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. I just want to pull this one apart a little bit. Jesus had other brothers. Jesus, Jesus had other brothers. And, and Mary, his mother, had other sons. She didn't need to, in this moment where Jesus was about to die, she didn't need to be given over to someone else. Jesus had other brothers. Mary was going to be looked after. So in culture, the oldest son will look after the mother until the mother passes. But this one was a little flip. Jesus was on the cross getting crucified. So it appeared to everyone else in that moment that Jesus was now going to die forever and Mary needed some help. So Jesus turns to Mary and says, this is your son now. This is the one that will look after you. And I thought this was so interesting. And I kind of just pondered that a little. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, when you realize how much God loves you, and you dive deep into that revelation and, and dive deep into that relationship with Jesus and you love Him back with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, He gives things to you that are close to His heart. So that's what John was doing. John was so in love with Jesus. John was there every step of the way. Other disciples ran away. Other disciples actually um, denied Jesus, but John was there every step of the way. At the foot of the cross, John was there. John showed this love of, for Jesus, knowing how much Jesus loved him. And then Jesus, in that moment, said, here's my mother. You look after her now. She is close to me. She is dear to me. And I trust you. And God will do that with you as well. Whatever's close to him, whatever's dear to him, he will entrust you to look after. He will entrust you to love. He will entrust you to disciple. He will entrust you to develop. He will entrust you when you dive deep into the love that he, he has for you. As John life, John's life goes on after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection and ascension, John, along with all the other disciples, decided that or dedicated their lives to telling people of who Jesus is, of what he did and what he has done for humanity. In the letters that John wrote, there is a clear message that jumps from the page. John expresses to us what was revealed to him as being paramount. What was the most important thing to John? What John realized with living life with Jesus for three and a half years and the revelation that he got out of the relationship that he had, what was the most important to him? In, John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you, Rather, it is an old one you have heard from the very beginning. This commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. 1 John chapter 3, 23 to 24 says, And this is His commandment. We must believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with Him, and He with them. And we know He lives in us because the Spirit He gave us lives in us. See, John makes being a Jesus follower 
simple. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love each other because He loved us first. God loves you, so love who He loves, and that's others. That is what stands out to John. That is what he continues to reveal to us in his writings. Love others. This month we've been on a journey as a church about evangelism and, and, and focusing on telling people about Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus. And John examples this so much to us and it's simplicity. It's loving people. It's being in love with people. And you don't get to that point unless you love Jesus. Loving Jesus unlocks being able to love people. It's the relationship that leads to that revelation. Having that revelation moves John to spread the love of Jesus everywhere he went. And no matter what, he would not stop telling people about the love of Jesus. So relationship leads to revelation and revelation leads to reveal. If I can have the band come back up, that'd be great. Reveal. John had such a deep revelation of who Jesus, of who Jesus is that his greatest desire was to reveal the truth of Jesus to the whole world around him. He was so passionate about Jesus and the revelation that he received regarding Jesus that he just dedicated the rest of his life to share the good news of Jesus everywhere he went. John, along with so many of the disciples of Jesus, followed the command that Jesus gave them that, to go, that they must go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, withholding nothing and letting nothing get in the way of them doing so. Letting nothing get in the way of them revealing to the world around them the revelation that they received. Not even persecution or prison stopped them from revealing to the world the revelation that they had received through relationship with Jesus. They received a revelation through relationship and they couldn't help but to reveal it to the world around them. John faced a lot of persecutions and this isn't written in scripture, but I did a little bit of a research and a lot of scholars believe this and it's a little funny. Um, please don't throw rocks at me for this, but I thought it was quite funny and I thought to share it with you. There's a few legends that believe that John was preaching and, uh, and people hated him preaching and telling everyone about Jesus, especially in, in Roman times, because Caesar believed that he was God. So how can anyone else go around proclaiming there to be another God? So John was just declaring the love that Jesus has for people and that He is the Messiah, that He is in fact God, and that there is restoration for humanity through belief and dedication to Jesus. That He got thrown into a hot pot of oil, boiling oil, and it didn't kill Him. And that angered the people that threw Him in that pot. And there's another legend that says that he was made to drink poison and he kind of made this little wager with the person that was forcing him to drink poison. He said, if nothing happens to me, will you believe in Jesus? And the guy said, yeah. So he drinks the poison, doesn't die. And it was this promise that was given to them that wherever they went, no snake, no scorpion, no poison would kill them. 
if they continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And those are just legends. But what we do know from Scripture is that John was sentenced to spend, exiled to an island, Patmos. And he spent a lot of time there alone. He was exiled there because that was the only way they were going to stop him. They can't kill him. He won't die. So they sent him off to an island. And he, he was stuck on that island. But in that moment, in those moments that he was in that, on that island, he received another revelation. So what did he do on that island? He just dived deeper into his relationship with Jesus. He just pursued Jesus more and more. And then Jesus gave him another revelation. And that's where we get the book of Revelation. It's this incredible life that John lived. He was on a river. It's not going to hang up on that. It just rhymes with everything else. He started a relationship with Jesus. That relationship led to a revelation. And that revelation led to him to reveal to the whole world of who Jesus is. And then when everyone was like, that's enough, John. Get off this earth now. You just go live on this island alone. He had another revelation. And he just keeps on revealing. That's what Jesus does. He just keeps on revealing his love for humanity when we dive headfirst into a relationship with him. Where is your life in relation to John's life? Are you on the river? I know I was. For a long time, I was just, hey, I knew about Jesus. But I was just doing my own thing, just living my own life, doing what I wanted to do. Are you on that river right now? Or do you know someone that's on the river that needs to know that Jesus is for them? Are you on the process of getting to know Jesus? Have you just met Jesus and now you're starting to learn about Jesus and, and Jesus is revealing things to you? Have you received the revelation yet of who Jesus is and who you are in Him and who you are to Him? Have you received that revelation yet? Are you passionate yet about revealing to the world around you of who Jesus is? Are you there? Are you where John was when he was writing those letters? Passionately preaching, passionately sharing, passionately revealing to others the love of God. See, my prayer this morning is that this message would help you see where you are in your life in, in, by looking at the life of John. Where are you? And I want you to gain confidence in the reality that you are loved by God, that He has done everything necessary for you to be made right with Him. And that this revelation would drive you to reveal it to the world around you. That's my prayer. That this message would unlock something in you that will show you that if John can do it, I can do it. John lived a life that was dedicated to sharing the love of Jesus. You can live a life that's dedicated to sharing the love of Jesus. Share the love of God to those around you. Show the love of God to those around you. Be, be the love of God to those around you. It's simple. Love others. He loves you. So love what He loves. And that's others. That's why we, we dedicate a whole month to preaching about evangelism, preaching about 
going out and telling the world about Jesus, going out and sharing the love of Jesus, it's because we know that He loves you. And don't ever make Jesus your personal God. Yes, He's personal to you, but He's not just your God. He's everyone's God. He's everyone's Saviour. He's everyone's Lord. So that's why we are passionate about telling you to evangelise and encouraging you to share the love of God to others because of the revelation that we've received through relationship with Him, that we cannot hold it in, that we cannot keep it to ourselves, that we cannot put a lamp over the light that is lit in us. We need to go out and share that. We need to go out and love the people around us. It's the love of God that leads people to repentance. Realising that without Him, we are a failure. Without Him, we are a failure. But with Him, we are rescued from the life that leads to death. That's what happens when we dive deep into relationship with Jesus. It is revealed to us that without Him, our life would be nothing. Without Him, our life would lead to death. But with Him, with Him, we receive eternal life, a life that goes on forever with Jesus, with our Creator. Whether you want to believe it or not, our spirits will go on to live forever. Our souls. Our souls will go on to live forever. Our souls are eternal. But there's only two places that we can spend eternity. It's either with Him or without Him. It's either in His kingdom that He is right now preparing for us or without Him. In a place that He never prepared for humanity, that He never prepared for human beings. He only prepared it for Satan. But if we do not choose Him, and if we do not encourage others to choose Him, that's where we end up as humans. That's where our souls end up. And I love Jesus. And that's why I'm up here preaching about Jesus. That's why I'm up here preaching about the revelation that I've received of the love of Jesus. And I, it's hard for me sometimes. I'm not an evangelist by nature. I'd, I struggle sometimes to, to tell people out there the love that Jesus has for them. But it is so important. And, and, and receiving a message like this that I did from God encourages me even more to not be afraid to share the love of Jesus to others. But we have to show the love of Jesus to others and we have to be the love of Jesus to others. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank You so much for this Word, God. I thank You for the revelation that You've given us through relationship that You reveal to us the love that You have for us. And God, we dive headfirst into that love. We receive that love this morning. And Lord, I pray that You will move in us to not let us be afraid, to not let, us, let fear hold us back into revealing Your love to others, to sharing Your love to others, to being Your love to the world around us, God. Let every single one of us receive an opportunity this week to share the love of Jesus to those around us. Because You love people. You are for people, Jesus. 
So we are for people as we choose to follow you. I just wanna give someone an opportunity or a few of you this opportunity this morning. If you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you have not received Jesus to be the leader of your life, I wanna give you that opportunity this morning. So that I can pray with you, I encourage you to shoot up your hand to show to me if you are in this room that you wanna receive Jesus. So as I look across, is there anyone that wants to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers us, that He has died for us to be able to receive? Is there anyone at all that wants to receive Him this morning to make Him Lord of your life? Thank you, Jesus. Well, I do want to encourage you as well. If, if your heart was racing in that moment, but you were just a little too scared to put your hand up, please head over to the Next Step banner. We have Pastor Chris there that would love to have a conversation with you about what that really means to accept Jesus in your life. But I think, uh, I think that it's great to live a life that's led by Jesus. And we see so many examples of the, the incredible life that you can live when you let Jesus lead you. We see that in Scripture. We see that in history. And we see that right in front of our own eyes with so many incredible people that allow God to lead them. So uh, that can be you. I just want to encourage you that you too can live a life of impact and meaning and, and see, see souls saved, see people one for Jesus, see people enter into eternity when you accept Him and allow Him to lead your life. So why don't we stand to our feet and we're going to go out praising Jesus because He is for us. He loves us. He wants the best for us. But before we do that, let me just quickly pray over you as well. Lord, I thank You for this community. I thank You for this, this community that is in love with You, Jesus. And God, I pray that as we go out and live our lives, as we go out and, and go through our week, Lord, that we will always take opportunities to share Your love that we will always take opportunities to love on others, that we will not turn a blind eye to the need that people have, that we will take every opportunity to love on our neighbours, to love on people around us. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Will you be that church?